truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, March 21st, 2022, the 425th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I hope you all enjoyed your weekend. This week promises to be a big week. All sorts of stuff is going on. Planes are descending directly downward into mountain ranges in China, if that's to be believed. Katanji Brown-Jackson is going through her Supreme Court nomination process, and she is dealing with claims highlighted by Senator Josh Hawley on her sentencing record for criminals who were convicted of child pornography. It seems that she has consistently chosen to give the lightest possible sentences in multiple cases to those people found to be involved in those heinous crimes. And of course, Democrats and uniparty communists everywhere are running to her defense. It is all taken out of context. It's all been debunked. She would simply never do that, even though she did. And of course, we can prepare for all of that to be spun as racism. There is no other reason to deny a Biden nominee confirmation to the Supreme Court except for racism. Don't you understand? The Democrats, Joe Biden, they went out and they started their search process by figuring out who might be related through marriage to Paul Ryan And then they chose that person. They wanted to make sure, though, that it would be a black female who was related to Paul Ryan. And it turns out that they found just the right person. So, you know, don't worry about the fact that she went easy on people gathering and sharing and spreading child pornography. There are bigger things at play. Isn't that comforting? This week on Thursday, we will have testimony in Wisconsin from True the Vote about the ballot harvesting operation that was run in Wisconsin and elsewhere. They are bringing video evidence. They are bringing whistleblower evidence. And last week, Jefferson Davis, who's the spokesperson for Wisconsin's ad hoc committee on election integrity, joined Mike Lindell's frank speech to talk about what we might be seeing on Thursday. It sounds like they have whistleblowers that can explain the full operation that was going on in these different states and that they can lay out the management structure that was running the ballot harvesting scheme in all these states. And the expectation is that those will all be connected and at some point lead directly to David Pluff, who was Barack Obama's former campaign manager in 2008. And if it leads to David Pluff, that means it leads directly to Mark Zuckerberg. Now, the scheme is 100% illegal. That should be absolutely clear. You are not allowed to set up networks of people that will collect the ballots you tell them to collect from addresses all over the place where they have sent ballots they know will not be voted and then have those people take those ballots, get the signatures on the envelopes, 
cast the votes for Joe Biden and then take all those ballots down to a Mark Zuckerberg drop box where you insert 10 of them or however many at one time, take a little picture and then get paid $10 per fake vote. You are able to deliver for the benefit of Joe Biden, Mark Zuckerberg, and whoever else is benefiting from the election fraud scheme. So we're going to hear a whole lot more about that on Thursday. And then, of course, we have the Hunter Biden laptop coming back into the news. The New York Times reluctantly and kind of sneakily hid an admission that the laptop and the information on the laptop, the email specifically, were authenticated. This being the laptop that they covered up for the last 16 months. Now, a lot of people are going bananas because Jack Maxey has returned from wherever he has been for the last 15 months to start saying that he's going to be dropping big information from the Hunter Biden laptop this week that is going to bring the whole thing down. And now maybe that's true. Jack Maxey was definitely one of the first people working on the Hunter Biden laptop back in the fall of 2020. He was a regular on War Room at the time. Apparently, he got the laptop directly from Rudy Giuliani and began examining it. Now, Jack Maxey kind of just fell off the face of the earth. I mean, he's been around. He's been posting on Gab. It's not like he disappeared somewhere. I'm not suggesting anything untoward. I'm just saying it kind of disappeared. And so did he in some sense. But apparently this is the week he's got the stuff coming and we're going to see what it is. Now, I am totally excited. Whoever exposes the truth about what the Biden family really is to the American people. And if that's Jack Maxey, congratulations, Jack Maxey. But I'm more excited to see what the team at Marco Polo and specifically Garrett Ziegler have coming with their report on the laptop because their report is extraordinarily in-depth, and it spends a great deal of time connecting the dots and laying out exactly what the situations were in all of their examples of various crimes and relationships that Hunter Biden had and facilitated. So I don't know what Jack Maxey has been doing and what his information will look like, but I hope that he has done something similar and made it so that people can quickly understand not only what is on the hard drive, but what impact all of that has in the real world and what the connections are that make it so important. And maybe he's got it. If he does, absolutely awesome. But he's also claiming that he's going to give marching orders to law enforcement officials around the nation about exactly what they're going to have to do now that his information will be out. That seems like a stretch. But it's entirely possible that he's got things going on that none of us know about. So I'm optimistic that what he does will move the needle. And if it doesn't, we have the Marco Polo report coming soon. Now, I should just quickly mention, I forgot to do this at the beginning of the show, but I guess it's still the beginning of the show, you know? Sorry that I did not get an episode up on Friday or over the weekend. I had hoped to get one up over the weekend. I took a really interesting meeting on Friday afternoon and getting a show up just seemed like it was going to be impossible. And I've also been really focused on this writing project that I thought was going to be brief and I thought was going to be up three weeks ago, but now it's like 12,000 words long and I'm going to have to break it up into parts. There's a lot of work. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying here. I'm trying. So let's go to the vaunted New York Times. They are very, very important and even more important now that they have admitted that The Hunter Biden laptop is real 16 months after they participated in making everyone think it was false. You know that the New York Times, the gray lady, is the paper of record in the United States. It's all the news that's fit to print. And so, of course, as you would expect, their columnists are very, very important and none more important than Maureen Dowd. Yesterday, Maureen Dowd's column is a really beautiful instance of fan fiction for the comedic actor in Ukraine 
The headline, while Putin shrinks, Zelensky soars. No matter what happens, the Russian president will be a loser with no moral stature. Now, if that seems like an odd headline from one of the most elite reporters or columnists, I should say, at the very most elite newspaper, I would tend to agree. It sounds like a fangirl. It sounds like she's saying that she's on Team Edward and not on Team whichever the other teenage vampire was. And it sounds like it was written for middle-aged women with college educations who nonetheless watch the Kardashians constantly. It also sounds exactly like the way they covered Trump. No matter what happened in the world, Trump's opponent at a given moment was always the perfect picture of honor and integrity and seriousness and expertise and intelligence and foresight. And Trump was always a loser with no moral stature. And the media in general is running the same playbook they ran against Trump repurposed for Vladimir Putin, which is kind of disconcerting because, you know, we're told that this is a war and you would think that when covering a war, the most important thing wouldn't be figuring out how cute Vladimir Zelensky is and how evil Vladimir Putin is. But I suppose I'm asking for too much. Last night, I spent a couple of hours watching the Vladimir Putin interviews. These are Oliver Stone's documentary that he released in 2017. This is my first time watching it. I recommend that everyone watch it, honestly. It's originally on Showtime and may still be on Showtime, but you can find it on YouTube if you simply search the Putin interviews part one, the Putin interviews part two, etc. There's four parts. The second one gets into Ukraine a little bit. And then the third one is almost entirely about Ukraine. And I think I've mentioned on here before he has two other Ukraine based documentaries, Ukraine on fire and revealing Ukraine. All of these are well worth watching. But once you've watched Putin in these interviews over the course of a couple of hours, you can get a sense of what he finds amusing, what he finds ridiculous, the feelings that he has about the way the West has handled the situation in Europe since the advent of NATO, how they've handled the situation in Ukraine. It seems like he has nothing but disdain for the intelligence community of America and the deep state of America. And it's hard to argue with any of that, of course. But he also seems like he really, really knows what he's talking about and that he's taking Oliver Stone's questions seriously and trying to answer them seriously. And there's very little stylistic similarity between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. But Watching the two of them speak and how they handle these questions, you can see that they are dealing with very similar problems and very similar circumstances in terms of their efforts to combat the global system being thrust upon the world without the world's consent. When you listen to both men get interviewed, you can see that they both understand these issues and they understand the motivations of both sides and what actually matters, which is a pretty drastic departure from the normal globalists we see on television trying to explain all of these issues by trying to make all of the elements of a totally fictional story about what's actually happening over there all make sense together while none of them are true. And that's why, for instance, we don't have a mainstream media that is interested in educating the American public about the coup in Ukraine in 2005 and the coup in Ukraine in 2014. 
They don't want to talk about any of the corruption issues in Ukraine. They don't want to talk about the historical issues that set the stage for much of what we see today. But I really do recommend that everyone watch those interviews and also think when you're reading and seeing news coverage on what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now about the similarities in the treatment of Donald Trump and the treatment of Vladimir Putin. We are just supposed to accept the media's version of the story that they're both these horrifically evil men who will wind up in the dustbin of history as losers no matter what happens. So let's go to this article. Myron Cohen, a garment district silk salesman turned popular comedian in the Ed Sullivan era, loved to tell this chestnut. Picture a little skinny guy, a shrimp, a nothing. He walks into a lumber camp looking for a job. The foreman is skeptical. So the shrimp steps up and fells a towering oak in 90 seconds. Where'd you learn that, says the foreman? In the Sahara forest, replies the guy. You mean the Sahara desert, the foreman corrects? Sure. Now, the guy says, you get that? The Sahara Desert used to be a forest. This skinny little shrimp guy chopped down the whole forest. And now it's a desert because that's what happens when forests are chopped down. Hubris guided Vladimir Putin's malevolent and maladroit invasion of Ukraine. And we are off to a fast start. You understand? There was nothing that motivated Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine, not biolabs, not broken agreements, not an eight-year-long ethnic civil war where Ukrainian neo-Nazis were killing other Ukrainians and ethnic Russians, not multiple coups to install leaders of a neighboring country that would do whatever the globalists said, not the encroachment of NATO, not armed systems being set up around Russia's borders. None of that mattered at all. All that mattered was hubris. Vladimir Putin had the hubris to disobey the global masters. As the Associated Press pointed out, U.S. military officials assumed Russia would deploy electronic and cyber warfare to blind and paralyze Ukrainian air defenses and communications. But the Russians did not take control of Ukrainian airspace when they launched their attack. Now, is that an accurate assessment of recent military history? U.S. officials thought Russia would deploy electronic and cyber warfare, and they didn't. So that is now painted as a mistake on Vladimir Putin's part, because surely those U.S. officials were not only relating real intelligence, but they were saying if Putin was smart, he would do this thing that we're telling the world he's going to do. So he didn't do that. Instead, he just destroyed their airfields. And there has been no Ukrainian air defense, which is why we keep hearing about how MiGs must be sent over there and stingers and all sorts of other military armament and equipment. Do we need some troops? Sure, send some troops. But, you know, don't make them fighting troops because then they could get in trouble. Uh, maybe we would start a war that way. Let's just go ahead and send a bunch of mercenaries and then we're going to figure out how to maneuver assets all over the world, arms and whatnot, and get them into Ukraine so that these mercenaries could use them alongside the Nazis. And we're just going to tell everybody that it's the Ukrainian military and they're protecting the Ukrainian people from these dangerous Russians. And then the whole world will be on our side as World War Three begins. So that could be the case. We'll see. But either way, what Maureen Dowd is framing right there seems to not be true. Now, this has been going on almost a month, and there was no indication that that thing she's suggesting was ever going to happen. But somehow it becomes a failure on Putin's part because U.S. officials said it was going to happen and then it didn't happen. So Putin must have messed up. And here's the reason. Putin was cocksure 
dismissing Volodymyr Zelensky as a shrimp, a nothing. But Zelensky has shown the world what true stature is. He chops down all the trees everywhere. He chopped down the trees in England and was Churchill. He chopped down the trees in Canada. And I mean, he was still just Zelensky in Canada because Canada doesn't have any, you know, world renowned figures. They have Fidel Castro's bastard son as a prime minister and a Nazi's granddaughter as the deputy prime minister. But I mean, those are the only two Canadians anyone's ever heard of besides hockey players. Hey, I didn't make the world this way. The Canadians should try training up a transgender swimmer already. And then his world tour continued to a Zoom call with the Americans. I mean, he's not actually going on tour. He's in an undisclosed location, maybe in Poland. There are reports. Maybe he's still in Ukraine. I know a couple of weeks ago, all of the media was very concerned that the Russians were going to capture and kill him. But apparently that hasn't happened yet. But in his American phone call, he compared himself to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Volodymyr Zelensky said, I have a need for planes. <laughs> and he said that he was the only person with the rest of the world's help that could stop a 9-11 and a Pearl Harbor from happening to Ukraine every day. And then, then over the weekend, he had a call with Israel. And this is from the Jerusalem Post. Zelensky strikes the wrong note to bring Knesset to his side. And I just want to hit this quick before we go back to Maureen Dowd. But from this article... Zelensky continued his practice of customizing his speeches to suit his audience when he addressed the Knesset over Zoom, taking the comparisons he had already made between his country's situation and World War II to the next level and dedicating the lion's share of his speech to the Holocaust. That comparison did not have the effect Zelensky apparently had hoped for. Rather than stirring Israel's leaders and legislators to action in solidarity, the heavy Holocaust comparisons from saying Moscow is planning a final solution for the Ukrainian question to saying Israel should save Ukrainians like Ukrainian righteous among the nations saved Jews drew more focus from its audience, which criticized its inappropriateness than Zelensky's appeal for weapons. I appreciate the president of Ukraine and support the Ukrainian people in heart and deed, but it is impossible to rewrite the terrible history of the Holocaust. Communications Minister Yoaz Hendel tweeted, Genocide was also committed on Ukrainian soil. The war is terrible, but the comparison to the horrors of the Holocaust and the final solution is outrageous. And as you can imagine, other commentary went exactly in that direction. But forget about that. Zelensky was showing the world what true stature is, according to Marine Dowd. Putin has always had a Napoleon complex, puffing out his bare chest on horseback, fishing shirtless in Siberia, winning staged judo and hockey displays. But Zelensky understands that stature is not about phony macho photo shoots. And that's a bit of an odd thing to say about a leader who really was a comedic actor and part of more photo shoots than virtually anyone in the world, as all actors are. And it's also a rather odd thing to say when Vladimir Putin is apparently the most powerful and evil ruler to ever walk the earth. But this is no different than the way they treated Trump. He's got small hands. He's got a small penis. He's fat. He's orange. His whole place is gold. Is any of that relevant? No. But it is if you're a New York Times reader and like to read teenage drama when you're figuring out what's happening in the world. Stature is a physical quality, but more important, it's a human and moral quality. Cates was barely over five feet, but look at his spiritual size. 
Our military leaders have lately been quoting Napoleon, who said, the moral is to the physical as three to one. Well, I guess that settles it. We have seen this with the Ukrainians who are not only courageously resisting the Russians, but also launching counteroffensives. And I guess that's true if you're counting the counteroffensives made by Nazi battalions and foreign mercenaries. As the New York Times reported, the number of Russian casualties has hurt morale. Our intelligence reports have described Russian soldiers simply parking their tanks and wandering into the woods. And of course, that must be true because our intelligence reports are never wrong. And that's why the New York Times just reprints them without finding out whether or not they're wrong. Putin doesn't realize what the world knows. You don't show your muscularity by raising cities, by bombing a maternity hospital, a boarding school for the visually impaired, a breadline, a community center, and a shelter painted with a message in Russian, pleading that children are inside. And of course, we should just assume that all of those things are true, even though we know that multiple claims in there are simply not true. That maternity hospital that everyone made a big deal about, was that, by the way, was that a week ago? Maybe it was two weeks ago, but it was recent. And these stories just cycle through so fast. But that maternity hospital story was just blatantly false. That maternity hospital had been cleared out weeks earlier and the Nazis, the Azov Battalion, were actually in there using it to position snipers. So I'm not sure... If Maureen Dowd just doesn't know any of these things or if she is happy to lie about these things. And it could be either. But after seeing that Veritas video that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where one of the New York Times reporters was being deposed and actually spoke to how little the Times does in terms of fact checking their own work, they basically use Google and then find out if another reputable source had claimed the same thing, and then they just reprint the claim. They assume that all of the elite media outlets are equally responsible with their reporting, which isn't a good standard, but it is a sufficient standard for reprinting the same things in the New York Times. So is Maureen Dowd as clueless as her peers, or is she as dishonest as her peers? Either one works. What kind of monster treats the word children as an invitation to kill? Well, that's a great question. Now, we could say that if the story underlying this is correct, and it's probably not, but if it is, you can write the word children on anything. And if you write the word children on something and it's got Nazis inside, you're still allowed to blow it up, even if it says children on the outside. But also the timing is a little inconvenient because right now people like Maureen Dowd are supporting the nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson, who sees the word children in a court case and thinks, ah, yeah, porn of them is not that big a deal. We should probably let these guys off light. What kind of monster would see the word children in a court case and then think, ah, that's probably not a big deal? That's a great question. I'm glad Maureen Dowd sort of raised it. This just proves that the Russian dictator is, as President Joe Biden and his Secretary of State contended, a war criminal. You don't show your power by starting a war that reveals how weak and mediocre your army is and strengthens European bonds when your goal is to divide and weaken Europe. No matter what happens in Ukraine, Putin will be a loser with no moral stature and Zelensky will have towering moral stature. Now, again, are those Putin's goals in Ukraine? Well, no, they're not his stated goals at all. His stated goals are demilitarizing and denazifying Ukraine. And demilitarizing and denazifying Ukraine means kicking the globalists and their 
foreign mercenaries and their Nazi battalions out of Ukraine so that they will stop waging war in the eastern part of Ukraine in the Donbass. And as for the claim that all of this is somehow strengthening Europe or strengthening NATO, that makes absolutely no sense. They haven't been on the same page about any of it the entire time. Initially, they were talking about Ukraine joining NATO and joining the EU. Neither of those two things have happened. They discussed all sorts of different sanctions against Russia, and some countries jumped onto those sanctions. Some countries didn't because all of those countries were calculating the impact those sanctions would have on their country. Not all of them could withstand the same impact from those sanctions. And another way to say it might be some of those leaders weren't willing to torture their citizens as much as our leaders are willing to torture American citizens or Russian citizens, because those are the groups of people who are actually being attacked in this war response by Europe and the U.S. and NATO and the allies and partners. There is no leadership among those international bodies, and it certainly isn't coming from Joe Biden and the fake administration. So they can say that they have unified all they like. It just simply isn't true. Donald Trump, who called Putin's barbaric strategy genius and savvy after spending four years legitimizing that malefactor, also comes out a loser. And you got to bring it back to Trump. First, you have to take some quotes out of context, not explain what he meant at all. Assume the worst possible thing he could have meant, or at least frame it that way. And then somehow contend that all of this is ultimately going to hurt Donald Trump in the eyes of the American people and even Donald Trump's own supporters. There is absolutely no chance that's going to happen. Trump is stuck on the fringe of his party, sharing the wrong side of a moral divide with Tucker Carlson, J.D. Vance, Madison Cawthorn, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Donald Trump has like 90% approval or above in the Republican Party. And his polling, his approval polling right now is a few points better than Joe Biden and many points better than Kamala Harris. So not only does he not represent the fringe of his own party, he doesn't represent the fringe of America. He represents a larger proportion of America than Joe Biden does. And one of the funny things about this polling is, you know, you take them all in a vacuum. Do, do you approve of Joe Biden or not? Do you approve of Kamala Harris or not? Do you approve of Donald Trump or not? If you were to actually put Donald Trump against Joe Biden in this polling, <laughs> it would be a large majority for Donald Trump, especially now. It was a large majority in favor of Donald Trump at the time of the 2020 election. And that's why Donald Trump won that election by so much. And of course, we're going to see all of that. And we've seen more than enough to know that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of fraudulent votes in all of the battleground states and likely, definitely many, many more states all around the country. But Maureen Dowd isn't over it, so we can't be either. Trump and Putin, what a pair, shrinking in stature in the eyes of the world. Tiny, tiny Trump and cruel fool Putin. The corrupt, paranoid germaphobes love surrounding themselves with sycophants, conjuring delusional worlds and giving unhinged rants. Now, this is utterly insane. Now, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin are corrupt and paranoid germaphobes. This is Maureen Dowd, someone who writes for the New York Times. The New York Times, as every other media outlet, in mainstream America has made germophobia one of their crowning achievements of the last two years. We're talking about people who are scared to stand too close to people they deem to be not like them. They wear masks around strangers, but not their friends because they're afraid of a disease that almost definitely can't kill them 
and they assume that everyone who's not like them has it. What could be more germaphobic than placing bottles of sanitizer everywhere in the world and spraying down everything you see? Although I know we don't do that anymore because of the science, the science changed, the science evolved. Now we have better science that says if you get injected with an experimental gene therapy, then you're okay to be around these other people. The germaphobes are all right with you as long as you've agreed to do that. Putin let loose on those who question his misbegotten war. Any people, and even more so the Russian people, will be able to distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and simply spit them out like a midge that accidentally flew into their mouths. Spit out on the pavement. He even went after his pals, the oligarchs who can't do without foie gras, oysters, or the so-called gender freedoms in Miami or the French Riviera. And you got that? Vladimir Putin, all his friends are the oligarchs, but he's even upset with them. It's not like people who write for the New York Times who operate directly for the benefit of oligarchs all around the world. Mark Zuckerberg, you see, is not an oligarch because he's American. Same thing with Bill Gates. Same thing with Jeff Bezos and Larry Fink and whoever else. They're American globalists, so they are not oligarchs like those bad Russians. Trump and Putin sowed the seeds of their own destruction. They wanted all of the attention and credit. Now they deserve all of the blame grandiosity and fantasy worlds will trip up these poisonous authoritarians. Neither man has a democratic bone in his body and both think they know better than anyone else. <laughs> what are they? New York Times columnists? When you have an autocrat who's been in power for too long, they don't listen to the people anymore. And this war was afflicted by very bad decision making. Ruth Ben-Ghiat, a historian who teaches at New York University, said on MSNBC, this has left Putin vulnerable and humiliated before Russian elites in the world, she said. But it has also parlously left him without an off ramp because autocrats don't negotiate. And apparently Maureen Dowd and this NYU professor think wars are won by hurting foreign leaders' feelings too much. Stephen Kotkin, a professor of history and international affairs at Princeton, told the New Yorker's David Remnick that the Russians have a fractured identity. Culturally and scientifically, they are a world-class power. But economically and politically, they have a hard time matching the West. So they, quote, resort to coercion. Yes, they have a hard time matching the West. That is their biggest concern is being just like the West. And it's interesting that she frames it this way, isn't it? The West, we know, is now rather than a set of distinct countries, a group of international leaders who are supposed to represent their countries, but are instead fully committed to enhancing the international order on the part of global communists. The worst part of this dynamic in Russian history is the conflation of the Russian state with some personal ruler, Kotkin said. Instead of getting the strong state that they want to manage the Gulf with the West, they get a personalist regime. They get a dictatorship, which usually becomes despotism. You see, they just make these things up. It doesn't matter. Vladimir Putin is a dictator because Russians have dictators. On the other hand, Joe Biden is not a dictator because he was elected in our democracy. He didn't steal the election. There's no proof of that anywhere. I mean, sure, there is proof of it everywhere. And now even the mainstream papers in our country are saying that the election was rigged. But they're just talking about the fact that the media lied to everybody for Joe Biden's benefit and hid the story about how Joe Biden was corrupt with all of the people and interests that are being protected right now in Ukraine. They forgot to mention that part. So the election is still all good. Joe Biden is not a dictator no matter what he does. Zelensky spoke to a joint meeting of Congress on Wednesday, comparing the terror 
in Ukrainian skies to the death hailed down from the skies on Pearl Harbor in 1941 and on New York and Washington on 9-11. He also showed a devastating video that brought tears to lawmakers' eyes. I watched that video. That video is hilarious. I can't believe they think anyone is going to buy that. But apparently, Maureen Dowd was moved, or at least she understands that the lawmakers were moved. They had tears in their little eyes. Underlining his role as David to Putin's Goliath, Zelensky said, strong doesn't mean big. Strong means supporting human rights and freedom and demanding the right to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. And what a powerful conclusion that is for people hoping that Vladimir Putin is assassinated by his own citizens. Now, did this article provide any support for the argument that Vladimir Putin and by virtue of that, Donald Trump are losers with no moral statue? And this is how they will be remembered throughout history. No, of course not. This was just Zelensky good, Putin bad. But at least she used the word parlously so that everyone is so impressed with Maureen Dowd's vocabulary, they won't bother thinking about the fact that her article reads like a teenager reviewing an episode of Euphoria on IMDb. But what is the comedic actor actually doing in Ukraine? Now, before I go into this, I do want to say there is some interesting research that was posted on Telegram over the weekend by, I think, IET, arguing that perhaps Zelensky is playing a role in Ukraine and that what he's doing is intentionally confusing and embarrassing Western leaders. Now, that seems like a stretch for me right now, but hey. I'm open to it. If that's what the comedic actor is actually doing, then I will stop calling him a comedic actor for the rest of his life. But until I find that out, and if I'm wrong, I will happily be wrong. But until I find that out, he is still the comedic actor. So this is yesterday from Reuters. Citing martial law, Ukraine president signs decree to combine national TV channels into one platform. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has signed a decree that combines all national TV channels into one platform, citing the importance of, quote, a unified information policy under martial law, his office said in a statement on Sunday. Ukrainian privately owned media channels have hitherto continued to operate since the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. The decree announcement made on the presidential website did not specify how quickly the new measure would come into force. But that's a little weird, is it not? For the leader with this towering moral stature, who is definitely not working alongside Nazi battalions that are absolutely in his army. That leader, for him to want a unified information policy so that all of the national TV shows say the same thing. Well, that sounds like the sort of leader we might see in World War II working on the side of the Nazis. And perhaps Israel may have picked up a hint of this when he was talking via Zoom to them. But that's not all. Zelensky went a bit further in his quest for information dominance. National Review reported on this, and it seems none of the other major outlets have. But this is also from yesterday. Zelensky suspends Ukrainian opposition parties with ties to Russia. Amid the ongoing Russian invasion, Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council has reportedly banned the activities of 11 opposition parties with ties to Russia and has merged the national TV channels in the country under one platform. The largest party to be targeted is the Opposition Platform for Life, which holds 44 out of 450 seats in the Ukrainian parliament and has the second largest bloc in the Verkhovna Rada, Ukraine's parliament, Al Jazeera noted. Most members are from the Russian-speaking eastern region of Ukraine, according to Radio Free Europe. 
Its leader is Viktor Medvedchuk, who reportedly has a friendly relationship with Russian President Vladimir Putin. About 19% of Ukrainians support the OPFL. And Medvedchuk was one of the stars of the Ukraine documentaries that Oliver Stone made, and he showed himself pretty well. Now, I'm not a historian on Viktor Medvedchuk, but my first impressions are he actually wants the right things for Ukraine. He came out strongly against the coups and has not backed down since. We just heard he represents 19% of Ukrainians and a full tenth of their parliament. That's his party. And now they're just banned because they're an opposition party. Well, can we ban the Democrats and most Republicans for working in direct opposition to the good of the citizens of the United States of America? If we could, that would be fantastic. But Donald Trump, the authoritarian dictator he is, never tried to ban any of those people. He tried to beat them in legitimate elections. It's too bad we didn't have one of those or they would already all be gone. But taking over the airwaves for a unified information policy and banning opposition political parties sounds exactly like what an authoritarian dictator would do, especially an authoritarian dictator who came to office as part of an effort financed by a billionaire oligarch owner of Privat Bank, Ihor Kolomoisky, and who cannot be separated from the two coups in Ukraine that he eventually became a product of. In his overnight announcement Sunday, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky said, The activities of those politicians aimed at division or collusion will not succeed, but will receive a harsh response. Ukraine's government imposed martial law after the Russian invasion, and the party limitations will continue for the duration. The Justice Ministry of Ukraine will enforce the decision, Zelensky said. Less significant parties to be suspended include Opposition Bloc, Party of Sharia, Ours, Left Opposition, Union of Left Forces, State, Progressive Socialist Party of Ukraine, Socialist Party of Ukraine, Socialists, and Vladimir Saldo Bloc. Now, you would think that the media here would be up in arms with all those leftist and socialist parties being banned as well, but apparently they have once again misplaced their principles. Now, the Svoboda Party was not listed in those banned parties. The Svoboda Party is one of the Nazi parties, and you can't imagine why they wouldn't be banned. I mean, I guess he has the power to do it. I wonder why he wouldn't ban obvious Nazis. It's a mystery. Last week, Zelensky also pulled three television networks owned by regional oligarchs that he said peddled Moscow-funded content that was hostile to Ukraine's national interest. He said their coverage is propaganda financed by the aggressor country that undermines Ukraine on its way to incorporation into the European Union and the NATO alliance, Zelensky tweeted Wednesday. The outlets had been accused of propping up the pro-Russia OPFL. The EU disagreed with that move, with its foreign policy head, Joseph Burrell, writing in a statement Wednesday, given the scale of disinformation campaigns affecting Ukraine, including from abroad, this should not come at the expense of freedom of media. Oh, now there are the principles. Are they being upheld? No, but at least you gave them some lip service. Now, it's certainly odd, but not surprising to see all of our Western institutions be all of a sudden so much on the side of those who want to censor and dominate information after a few years of this nonsense of the cancel culture of the big tech platforms censoring right in front of us a good portion of western society in our country but in all western countries has adopted the view that Censorship is okay when it's not them being censored. And we can see the results of this. There was a poll taken of Canadians that the Toronto Star published this morning. This is their article, how vaccination status might predict views on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the polling information is really interesting. 
they basically asked a series of questions about how much people supported certain responses to the Ukraine and Russia situation. The responses were divided by those who had received three or more shots of the experimental gene therapy and those who had not been vaccinated. And the results are shocking at first, but then you're like, yeah, I guess I could have seen that coming. So I'm going to go through these results, imposing tougher economic sanctions on Russia. Okay. Respondents who said they received three or more shots, 86% of them were for imposing stronger economic sanctions on Russia. And what that means is further destroying the lives of Russian citizens who now have to pay a great deal more for everything they buy in order to keep living. And of course, those results are mirrored in the countries imposing the sanctions as well. And as we can all see, 86% of Canadians who got three or more shots of the vaccine, vaccine in quotes, are for that. Out of the people who were not vaccinated, 13%. Those are the complete reverse of one another. But let's keep going. Seizing the assets of Russian oligarchs associated with President Putin, 85% among the vaccinated, 13% again among the unvaccinated. Cutting off oil shipments from Russia, 81% of Canadians who were vaccinated are happy to have all of their gas prices raised for the foreseeable future, maybe forever, punishing themselves in order to pretend to punish Russia. Of the unvaccinated, only 21% responded positively to that suggestion. Sending additional military equipment to Ukraine. The vaccinated, 82%. Unvaccinated, 18%. Providing additional loans and non-military aid to Ukraine. 78% among the vaccinated. 15% among the unvaccinated. Providing Ukraine with fighter jets. 52% among the vaccinated. 15% among the unvaccinated. Dispatching military forces to Ukraine. 30% of the vaccinated still want that. They want Canadian soldiers sent to Ukraine to fight Vladimir Putin and die for Ukraine, not for Canada. They want their soldiers to go die for Ukraine. That is how upset they are about what is happening in the TV show they're watching. And of course, the unvaccinated only responded positively to that 11%. Then you get down to none of the above. You don't want to see any of those suggestions implemented. And that is where I would be. And I would guess that's where most of you would be in terms of what America should do, at least. Canadians shouldn't want any of this either, but that, of course, is up to Canadians. Only 2% of the fully vaccinated, three shots or more, only 2% of them do not support any of that stuff. Out of the unvaccinated, 52%, a majority, don't want Canada to do any of that. 3% of the fully vaccinated said they did not know or they did not respond to the questions and did not know is a totally acceptable answer. By the way, these are important questions about which normal people don't know very much. We're talking about people who agreed to get injected with an experimental gene therapy for a disease that almost definitely could not kill them. They're not big on details and thinking. The unvaccinated, however, 18% responded that they don't know or declined to respond at all. And that actually is the proper response when you don't know. So that is a full 70% of the unvaccinated against all of those options. And this poll is really interesting because it doesn't tell us a whole lot about what's actually happening in Ukraine and how people would respond if they knew about what's happening in Ukraine. But it tells us quite a lot about people who believe that they know all sorts of things they clearly do not know at all. And those people all watch a whole lot of television news and they get their news from Twitter and they get their news from Instagram and they get their news 
from agri and apps that employ algorithms to feed them the information that the globalists want them to see. I would love it if every poll forever was broken down this way between the fully vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And by the way, I wonder if people with one shot or two shots now count as unvaccinated. I got to think maybe they do. How many more issues would they align on? I bet the fully vaccinated are probably overwhelmingly wrong about the Russian collusion hoax. They're probably overwhelmingly wrong about the 2020 election, about January 6th, about immigration, about inflation, about the environment. They're certainly wrong about the vaccine and everything related to COVID. And these are the people who believe that they are the cultural elites. They are our betters. They are the most educated people in the world, according to themselves. But this is a staggering level of ignorance. The only thing they seem to know about this situation is Russia bad, Putin bad. They're totally okay with harming more Russian civilians. They're totally okay with harming more of their own friends and neighbors. And they're totally okay with starting World War III. All of it on the basis that Russia bad, Putin bad, and, you know, Trump bad. And there was another poll that I saw over the weekend from YouGov America that kind of hit on the same point. It really illustrates the utter cluelessness of our society at large. So what this poll does is ask a series of questions about American culture and whether or not we have a realistic image of what the rest of our society is like. It says... Americans overestimate the size of minority groups and underestimate the size of most majority groups. Estimated proportions are calculated by averaging weighted responses ranging from zero to 100% rounded to the nearest whole percentage to the question. If you had to guess what percentage of American adults dot 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 true proportions were drawn from a variety of sources, including the U.S. Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and polls by YouGov and other polling firms. And the structure of this poll actually reminds me a lot of that poll Bill Maher referenced so many months back, maybe a year ago at this point, that showed how confused Democrats were about actual COVID statistics. So, Remember, the question leading in is if you had to guess what percentage of American adults, the first question is, have a household income over $1 million. Okay, so what percentage of American adults have a household income over $1 million? The true proportion is 0%, not even a full percent of American households have an income over a $1 million. But what did Americans guess about the true proportion? They guessed it was 20%. That's not even close. They believe that one out of every five households has an income over a million dollars. And it's not even 1%. That is incredible. So they asked, how many American adults would you assume are transgender? They say it's at 1%. I don't know how that's not 0%. But, you know, transgender is a fad right now. So maybe it's 1%. It was estimated at 21%. Household income over 500,000. That is 1%. Estimated at 26%. People estimate that one quarter of our society makes $500,000 or more per year. That's bananas. And I'm not going to go through all of these, of course, because there's a bunch, but you can see it in the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator, but a few more of these. Okay. So are gay or lesbian? The actual answer is 3%. The guess was 30%. Same thing with live in New York city. 3% of the country's population lives in New York city. And people guessed that it was 30%. 3% of the country are atheists. The guess was one out of three, 33%. How about this one? 
They asked, what percentage of American adults do you think are black? And it's 12%. I mean, I thought that was a widely known piece of information. But what does our society believe it to be? 41%. 41%. Apparently, they just watch commercials all the time. They also believe that 51% of the country is Democrat. They have it listed here at 42%. It is actually lower than that. That has shifted quite a bit over this last year. But isn't it incredible the level of widespread cluelessness that we are dealing with in this country right now? And I expect that that will gradually improve. And I believe that it's improving now. And I certainly have faith that it will improve. But this is where we are. This is what makes it so difficult. People do not know what they're talking about in almost any situation because they don't know any of the relevant factors that would make a difference for them. They are told that things are one way. They develop these prejudices, believing that things are that way. And then they make decisions with these things as if they're givens when they're completely false. And this, of course, is a direct product of a censored media environment. And these become very powerful forces, which is why you can see that the comedic actor is trying to completely control the information flow in Ukraine. The same way all of the Western leaders have taught him with their big tech counterparts. What might all these people believe if they were actually informed and actually educated rather than just imagining that they must be informed and educated because they went to college or because the people on TV seem like they are their peers. I've talked a bunch about this before, and I'm writing more about it in that project I discussed earlier, but censorship kind of has two sides to it. There are people like me who are continually censored, and probably many of you have experienced tons of censorship over the last couple of years. If you say virtually anything true online, you can expect to be censored if what you're saying has to do with a politically contentious topic. And I guess at this point, probably even if it doesn't. So the censorship affects us directly. We are the ones being censored. But censorship also affects everybody else, whether or not they are directly censored, because it changes the information that they are able to consume. If you use Twitter, for instance, to get your information and Twitter is already limiting entire viewpoints from appearing on their platform, then you are getting censored information. And while you may not be censored, that's only because you will inevitably wind up simply repeating information that is the product of censorship. It's not hard then to see why everyone is so confused all the time, why the nation is so divided among political opinions when most people believe they are fully informed, even without knowing anything at all. And in light of that, it's not surprising that people believe the only thing that matters is whether you're on Team Putin or Team Comedic Actor. And we may find out that what this censorship has sown is World War III. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app, and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!